0: So we are in uh, the chronological journey through the Gospels, lesson number 71. But I'm kind of getting excited that we're this far and that uh, we're going to be coming very soon into the final week of Christ. I'm excited a little bit for a couple of different reasons. I've been trying to map this out for over two years, and I'll say from the get-go, it's an impossibility, and I no doubt got some of the chronological order out of order because it's hard to mesh it all together. But I'm excited, one, that I have already set out an order for the next few weeks, and I know, although I haven't found it or even looked for it yet, that the final week of Christ, the week of Passion, many years ago around Easter time, I mapped out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know that my work is already done, sitting in my desk somewhere, and hopefully I'll be able to find it. I'm pretty sure I know exactly where it is. Um, if not, I'll be mapping out a little more, but I am excited for that reason too, because I have this mapped out already. Once we get past um, these few things from John's Gospel, and then we get back into the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as Jesus journeys from where he's at right now, he's going to go to Bethany, and then he'll leave Bethany. he have his official entry into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry as we know it, but coming by way of Jericho and the miracles that would take place as he makes his way to Jerusalem. And so I'm looking forward to all of that, learning again, and and just being ministered to by the Lord and allowing Scripture to teach and instruct and to um, give us insights, perhaps things that we hadn't seen before. I had this message prepared on Thursday. Well, I had point one, which was point three from last week that I didn't get to done over a week ago, and uh, I had everything prepared on Thursday, went over it again on Friday, and this morning uh, God was showing me a few new things as I was going through and just one last look over the message before presenting it this morning. And we left Jesus in the area of where John the Baptist had been baptizing. He's there with his disciples, and we left him from John chapter 11 last week with word coming to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was sick. And it was important. I mean, the view is that Jesus, your friend, Lazarus, is sick. You need to come. But the Word of God tells us that Jesus stayed two days longer. And he didn't immediately go. And then after two days, he told his disciples that we're going to go to Bethany. And uh, Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples, they said, Lord... This is not a good thing that you want to do. Don't you remember those in Judea? So they're going into the area of Judea where they had, according to the word, twice attempted to stone Jesus from John's gospel. And they reminded Jesus of that <laughs> in verse 8. They said, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Not again. I mean, we barely escaped last time, and you want to go back? And then Jesus had told them that Lazarus slept, but they didn't understand, and their thought was, if he's sleeping, he's getting better. We don't need to go. You don't have to heal him. God is healing him already. And finally, Jesus told them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. But then this is key. He said to them in verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So that is a key portion of this passage because the issue of faith is at play here. It's an issue of faith for the disciples. It'll be an issue of faith for Martha, for Mary, and for the friends and family that gathered around and so at this point, we would think the disciples being three years with Jesus, they pretty much had everything necessary that they needed. They understood the mission of Christ. But as we continue in the gospel story, we'll learn that they did not completely understand. And so this would be a lesson to them and also a lesson to Mary and Martha and those who are there to see the resurrection of Lazarus, and I believe also it's a lesson to us if we are willing to heed that which the Word is teaching us this day. So today it's the resurrection and the life part two. It had to be a part two because that was last week's title, and I didn't get to those words. So I had to leave it as a part two, the resurrection and the life. We're going to look at in Point one, he shall live, from John 11, verses 17 through 27. Point two, see how he loved him, John 11, 28 through 37. And point three, loose him and let him go, John 11, 38 through 44. So we'll pick up and we'll read through the first section, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. When Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives And believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now we will see as we go through this section that Martha, she had faith, just like the disciples, they had been faithfully following Jesus for three years. They had faith, but they did not have complete understanding. There was more that the Lord needed to teach them more that the Lord was going to show them. And so here we have the expression of Martha as she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she had the faith if Christ was there that he would have raised her up from the dead. But Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus had died. They had went through and were still in the process of mourning for him but they had put him in the tomb. They had sealed it shut and she knew that her brother was dead. And so in this scene at the very beginning we see the two natures of Mary and Martha. Martha, the worker. I love to call her that and Mary the worshiper. Mary hung out for a while. She didn't immediately go to Jesus, but Martha often would come into Jesus' presence with an urgent need, like in Luke 10, verses 40 through 42, when Jesus and the disciples had come to their house and suddenly she discovered that she had at least 14 men to cook a meal for. And while she was in the kitchen, busy about preparing this meal, she probably kept looking into the room where Jesus was sitting and seeing Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, it began to bug her tremendously. It's like, doesn't she realize there's a lot of work to be done? Thirteen men. We've been, since the last uh, three years now, Almost every Sunday, the kids come over for dinner, and uh, things have changed over the last few years when they come over for dinner. We're cooking a lot more now. Uh, just two years ago, we had four teenage boys feeding them, and now one turned 21. So we still have three teenage boys and a 21-year-old, and uh, they consume a lot of food. And we're busy about it. Lily doesn't have to look in the living room and think John needs to get in here and help because uh, we cook these meals together. And uh, a lot of times it's preparation and making sure that you have enough. And sometimes there was an occasion we had some meat on that was served and one of the boys looked at it and he's like, that's it? <laughs> and he realized that that's just enough for me. I don't know what my brothers are going to eat. So Martha was in one of those, but even a greater situation. And Luke 10, 40 through 42, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister have left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now in church life, I realize that we need to be both. We need at times to be Martha the worker, busy about the Father's business. And at other times, we need to be Mary the worshiper, sitting at the Lord's feet. While we're busy about the Father's business, we can be worshiping God But it won't be effective worship unless we have first spent time sitting at the Lord's feet. And sometimes in church life, we get it so mixed up that we think our worship is actually serving when we neglect to wait upon the Lord in such a way that he fills us and equips us to be able to serve effectively in this world that we find ourselves in. So Jesus responded to her, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. By saying in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Now Martha took this immediately to the resurrection at the end of days. So here at play once again, we have... um, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament for us, coming into play in the thought process of those Jesus is ministering to at this time, this individual, Martha, at this time. But she took it right to the resurrection in the last days. She had not learned yet that the effectiveness of Jesus, as this centurion soldier, had understood Before, much earlier, that location was not a necessity for Jesus to do a miraculous work. The centurion soldier that we read about in Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus offered to come to his house because his servant was sick, the centurion soldier responded and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And of that, Jesus responded, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, Matthew eight ten. Martha didn't have that type of great faith. Her faith was, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother need not have died. But still, Jesus encouraged her. And said, your brother will rise again. Now she initially connected it to the resurrection in the last days. Not an immediate work that Christ was about to do. And so though she had faith, it was not a complete faith. The Lord was going to show her something. And it goes back to verse 15. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Jesus was going to show Martha something much greater than if he would have merely, which would have been tremendous, but they for three years have seen Jesus heal the sick. I mean, that's just, that's what Jesus does. But to raise the dead? Only Luke once had recorded a young boy being resurrected, and they hadn't buried the boy yet, and some would say maybe he hadn't actually died. I mean, they thought he was dead. That's what the people might have thought about that situation. But this is a totally different situation. He had been buried for four days. Lazarus was surely dead. So the call to believe. Jesus and Martha were actually on different wavelengths here. Jesus referred to Lazarus's too many S's there, but to the resurrection of Lazarus on that same day, while well, Martha looked forward to the resurrection of all who believe in the last days. And the hope of the resurrection of the dead is found in both the Old and the New Testaments. In Job 19:25 and 26, after the loss of his ten children, Job declared for I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. And Paul also in Acts 24:15 speaking to the governor Felix he says I have a hope in God which they themselves talking about the Jews they themselves also accept That there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. There's something that is missing quite often in our churches today. They talk about the coming resurrection. They talk about coming to faith in Jesus Christ, that you might go to heaven. But often they neglect that if you do not believe in Jesus, what will happen? And Paul said there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And for the unjust, they will stand before the righteous God and be judged by him. But for those who believe in Jesus, we find life, not only now, but on into eternity. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, you should have this underlined start. It's so important. And here in my Bible, I mean, I don't know when I've had this Bible since 1993, But it is underlined, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, they will not die. They will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The challenge to Martha, do you believe this? And her confession, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. She made a declaration of faith. But we will see she wasn't quite there yet. Because when Jesus says, take away the stone, it's Martha who says, Lord, by now, O King James, he stinketh. It's a bad idea, Lord. So she had a confession, but her faith wasn't quite there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Transformation is at the heart of the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ. Transforming our lives now, while we're on this earth, but also in the future. In First John five eleven and 12, it says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Notice that John did not say to the brothers and sisters he was writing to that God will give us eternal life. He said, It's already a done deal. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is life and death situation for everyone on this earth. Choose Jesus, you have life. Without Jesus, you are without true life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, yes, well, please, rather, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So there is a future hope, yes. But that hope is not merely future. It's for right now. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do it exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And God, through Jesus with Martha and Mary and the people who gathered around that tomb that day, the disciples who were there, they would see Him do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that they could think, all that they could ask. They're going to see the power of Christ. For us, we need to realize that faith is not about the there and then, one day when we're in heaven, but it's also about the here and now, right now while we're on this earth. While all this is going on, We go back to Martha in verses 28 through 37. And When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I just had that thought that Mary and Martha probably had talked about this for the last four plus days. When is he going to get here? Sooner than that, right? He's been dead for four days. So prior to that, they've been talking about this because the sisters said to Jesus the very same thing. Lord, if you'd only been here, we wouldn't have to be going through this right now. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and he said where have you laid him and they said to him come lord and see and all God's people read the read the shortest verse in the bible with me jesus wept John 11:35 then the jews said see how he loved him and some of them said could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also keep this man from dying Everyone is on the same wavelength with Martha and Mary, even the disciples, no doubt, at this time. They all felt that if Jesus had only been there, Lazarus need not die. But Jesus didn't come when they expected him. Jesus showed up four days later. And yet Mary's response when she ran out to meet him, we find the beautiful account of Mary as we find it always in Scripture, She fell at the feet of Jesus. And this is where we always find Mary in the Bible. She's always there at the feet of Jesus. Mary, the worshiper, falling down at the feet of Jesus, waiting upon Jesus. Yes, speaking with him. Yes, I don't know if it was a, Lord, if you have been here type discipline. Lord, you should have come. You failed but we know that you're here now. Thank you. She worshipped. She was there at the feet. But we need to notice that when Martha called Mary, she said something significant. The teacher has come. Didaskalos is the Greek word for teacher. And it simply means that a teacher or instructor. But with this was the definite article. The teacher had come. She didn't have to ask, what teacher came? Who's in town? She knew immediately that it was Jesus. The teacher has come. Nicodemus said it in John 3, 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. The teacher has come. And now the teacher teacher was calling her. She responded. She went to him. She fell at his feet. Do you know that there are many who have been called by Jesus, but not all respond? The teacher has come, and he is calling for you. We read last week from Matthew 20, verse 16, and the last will be first, the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. The important thing that if we know that the Lord is calling, we need to respond to the call of Jesus. Mary responded to that call. And as a response to Jesus' call on her own life, there is a beautiful picture, I think, that is seen here because as Mary left, those who were with her, they didn't understand where she was going. They thought she was going to the tomb to mourn there. We'll go with her. And she ended up, without even intentionally meaning to do so, bringing others with her into the presence of Jesus. And I think that's so important. As we respond to the call of Jesus in our lives, we are able to bring others into the presence of Jesus with us. It's what we're supposed to do as the church, as the body of Christ. As Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us, let us consider one another in order to stir up, stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, so much so as we see the day approaching. Can you see the day approaching? Do you read biblical prophecy and think, the Lord's coming must be close, as the Bible proclaims it's closer now than when we first believe. That's always true of every generation of every day that we are given on this earth. You wake up in the morning, just know this, that the Lord's coming is closer now than when you first believe. One more day upon this earth gives us one more day to serve the Lord, but we should be about helping others to come. And Mary at this point, she didn't even know what she was doing, but her response to Jesus brought others into the presence of Jesus, Mary and Luke 10 39, John 1132 John 12:3, always found at the feet of Jesus. and like Mary, when troubles of life come upon us, there is no better place than to be at the feet of Jesus. Now I already went to church this morning, my brother over in Australia, since he's 15 hours time difference. I asked you guys to pray for Pastor Dean from Iser Street Baptist Church. He broke his back when someone rear-ended him uh, as he was sitting behind a truck at a traffic light on a motorcycle. And he got rear-ended and his back broke and they had surgery. And he preached for the very first time since November. And uh, I knew that today was going to be his first message, so... I got through my studies this morning and I uh, made myself breakfast while I was listening to Dean teach. And I, I didn't even plan this, but we were, we actually uh, got the same verse of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Now, Matthew 5, 7 has been a life verse for me. And uh, when I played in a Christian band and I learned how to make the P in my last name sweep across all the letters of my last name, I would always write in there First Peter 5, 7. So I have always just fell in love with casting all your cares upon him because he cares from you. I often had neglected verse 6, and this is the important part of the verse. We look at verses and we forget that they're actually sometimes just a partial sentence. Sometimes it's important to read the whole sentence to get the whole idea of what the writer wants to give us. And the first part of that sentence is, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So the importance of humility coming to the feet of Jesus. Now, Pastor Dean... He began by referencing this verse, but didn't get to it until the end of his message. And he said, while preparing this message, I heard a young preacher from a few years ago preach from this passage, and he did a pretty good job. He had good points as he went through the message. He goes, but this young man didn't understand the depth of this message because he had not yet known suffering. And then he said, that young man was me. Now it has a whole different look to it. He still has another back surgery to go. So the casting of our cares, when you go through deep trials in life, whether Martha, Mary, whether the disciples, to come at the feet of Jesus, we find that the Lord can do the unbelievable, what we would say the impossible, as we will see. The Lord does here in a moment. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage from Luke 18, 27 through 26 and 27. When the disciples asked the Lord, who then can be saved? And God responded with men, this is impossible with God. All things are possible. And what bothers me about this passage more than anything else, is not the questioning of Martha and Mary. They had the very same question for Jesus. Lord, if you've been here, my brother need not have died. They were at the same, really at the same level of belief at that point. What really bothers me a lot about this passage, I feel like more Martha the worker than Mary the worshiper. And it's at the feet of Jesus where we will discover great things. Even the women on the day that Jesus resurrected from the grave, when they were instructed by Jesus, in Matthew 28, 9 and 10, it says, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice. And so they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now we have more Ladies at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. And then he said, do not be afraid, but go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there I will see them. And here we find in this passage, I see in verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 28, that we have both worshipers and the workers. Jesus said, worship, that's great. Now go, you have work to do. And I think sometimes we spend time worshiping, which is needful, but we neglect the work that is also needful. And sometimes we spend the time working, which is needful, but we neglect the worship, which is also needful. We need both in our lives. So Jesus groaned. He wept. There's a difference if you look at the Greek words. They speak about the those who are with Mary and Martha weeping. It speaks about a loud moaning, a loud crying. When it speaks in John 11:35, Jesus wept. It kind of gives that sense of a tear streaming down the face. It's a quiet weeping, not a strong weeping. But the groaning is different. When it says that he groaned, It speaks of that emotion that shudders your body. It speaks about deep emotion. When he was troubled, it speaks about being greatly troubled. But why did he groan? Why was he troubled? Why did he weep? First, I think it's because, as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, But was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He felt the pain of death. And some believe that he wept because he felt the pain that sin had caused upon humanity. Now we have the friends and family also saying, could not this man, could not this man who gives sight to the blind had kept this man from dying? So here we have everyone in the same place, except for Jesus. Jesus knew from the get-go what he was going to do, but everyone had thought that Jesus had failed them. Lord, if you had only been here, Have you ever been in a place in your life where you thought Jesus failed you? Have you ever kind of been like Mary and Martha? Maybe the disciples? I don't know, Lord, kind of dangerous over there. Maybe we shouldn't do this one. Lord, if you'd only been here, have you ever had that type of complaint? Yes, they acknowledged the mighty work of Jesus. They have seen the works of Jesus. Even the people knew what Jesus could do. But they felt that Jesus came too late. And Jesus knew that He came right on time. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And yet Jesus who as Isaiah 53.3 tells us, was who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces as it were from him. We despise him because we did not esteem him. Jesus now filled with emotion, emotion that was shaking him to his core, emotion that was causing him to weep, Really shows us that Jesus great love. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But also, He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far much greater than whatever we might think or believe. And here He does that in verses 38 through 44. And then Jesus again, groaning in Himself, He came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone was laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha and the sister of him who was dead said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. Not a good idea, Jesus. It's going to stink in there. For he has been dead for four days. And Jesus just a side thought on this. They buried in tombs. As I was reading this, I was thinking about being in Israel at the Garden of Gethsemane and going into a tomb in that area and where they had the um, burial section. And they they used the lime and limestone and sarcophagus. Ah, coffins. But they used it in such a way to break down the bodies quickly that it would get it to bone, and then they would bury the bones. And so this was a process that they used in Israel. So it wasn't a matter that he had just been dead for four days. They um, helped to speed up the process, and they would use reuse the burial areas then. And that's why you find a lot of the old uh, tombs where they have the skulls and bones all placed together, Uh, The eating away of the flesh, the process had already begun. And they helped speed along the process. So Jesus said to her, verse 40, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. So here's the whole purpose of the resurrection of Lazarus, that the people would believe that Jesus was sent by God. Verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried out a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. Once again we read in verse 38 of Jesus groaning. And perhaps it was because he knew, like, the thief on the cross whom Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Perhaps at this point Jesus was groaning because he knew he was about to ask Lazarus to come back from paradise. Sorry, Lazarus. (laughs) There's more that I have for you to do. Your time, it seemed, had come, but not quite yet. You reminded me of Paul in Philippians 1, 23 and 24, who said, I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. My desire is to be with Christ. I want to go to heaven, which is far better. For me, heaven is better than this earth. Paul was saying, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. At this time, it was apparently more needful for Lazarus to remain in the flesh than to stay in paradise. Martha protested. By now he stinketh. I'll always say that every time I read this passage because I'm not a fan of the old King James because I don't read it well. We discovered it in our men's breakfast a few months ago. Most of us don't read it well, so we gave up on it. But there are certain verses that are just sound cool when you read them. (laughs) That's one of them. Four days took away any doubt from anybody that this man was surely dead. His body was starting to decompose. And there was no reason, from the people's point of view, to take away the stone. And I was thinking about that this morning, and it seems sometimes people get into the lifestyle of sin. It may, at the beginning, seem attractive. It may seem appealing. It may even be exciting. But once sin gets its death grip upon a person's life, the friends and the family members around get to that point to where they see the damage that sin is having upon an individual's life and they begin to notice the stench that goes along with it. And we need to be reminded, like Jesus reminded Martha, did not I say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Sometimes when family members and friends are going through a time that is so difficult as parents or grandparents to watch them go through, and there is a stench. You know it's caused by sin. Sometimes we just simply need to be reminded of the promises of God. When going through trials in this life, especially when dealing with the devastation and the effect of sin upon a loved one or a friend, it's important That we stand upon the promises of God. 2 Corinthians For The promises of God are in him, yes, and amen to the glory of God through us. And perhaps today you need to stand upon promises of the Lord that he has given you. Did Did not I say to you? Maybe you've had a moment where the Lord has spoken to you and it seems that... Whatever you believed at that moment has not become a reality yet. Maybe you need to hear the Lord saying, did not I say to you, I said this to you. may not be in your timing, but it'll come. Stand upon those promises. So Jesus' prayer, I thank you, Father. He, He said to the people, I'm glad, Lord, that you hear me and that you've already answered this prayer, but what I'm about to do, it's not for me, it's for them. They had said, the one who had given sight to the blind, couldn't he not have healed this man? They had said, "Lord, if you had only been here, my brother need not have died." They didn't understand the power of God that was about to be revealed before them. John 10:37 and 38 says, If I do not believe, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. And they were about to see those mighty works through Jesus and connected to the father. Jesus connected it to the father. Father, you always hear me and I thank you for that. Now, Lord, through this work, speak to the people that they might believe the miracle was going to help bring faith, not only deepen the faith of the disciples, Martha and Mary, but those who had gathered around as well. Jesus said in John 5, 11, 15, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. All the people were thinking was, Lord, if you'd only been here, and Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't i got something bigger in store for you guys. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now tradition records that it was Augustine who said, if Jesus had not said Lazarus, all the graves would have emptied out. He had to be specific on that one. Lazarus, come forth. And he came out bound hand and foot. Now, I was reading through commentaries on this, and they they have a difficult time with, well, how could he come out? He was all bound up. Was he hopping? I don't think that's the point that John was really worried about here. It's like trying to envision, what did this look like? Was it, you know, the mummy? All bound up, coming out. That's not the point. Now, some say that it may have been The grave clothes may have been a prelude of the grave clothes that Jesus himself, in just a short time, would also be bound by. Here's the thing that really strikes me about this. Jesus said to loose him. And although Lazarus had been set free from the bondage of death, he was still in the grave clothes... And it's a great picture of the work of Christ who frees us from the bondage of sin and the process of um, not only gaining salvation, but being freed, the power of God working in our lives, setting us free, as it says in John 8.36, as the Son of Man sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And Jesus is able to set us free from the bondage of our sin to this very day. So the resurrection and the life. Verses 17 through 45 of John 11. We've seen that faith is not merely about the there and then, but the here and now. And as followers of Christ, we may often get on a different wavelength than Jesus. And when this happens, we need to place our trust in Jesus, believing that He is the Christ, He is the Son of God, that He has come into this world just as Martha confessed to Him. In that section that says, see how He loved Him, verses 28 through 37, Jesus' great love is seen by His ability to sympathize with our weaknesses, and though they may have misunderstood the reason behind Jesus' weeping, and even today theologians debate about the purpose of why He wept. Was it because His friend Lazarus has died? Was it because... Um, the impact of sin and death upon this world and this side of heaven, we may never have a firm answer on that. What we do recognize is the great love that Jesus has. For them, Martha, Mary, the friends, for the disciples, but also for us because we have a great high priest whose name is Jesus who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Yet he was without sin. And to lose him and let him go. Only Jesus is able to set us away, set us free from the bondage of sin. And those who have loved ones whose lives have been death, devastated by the sin, they have this stench of death about them. May we remember to consistently bring their names before Jesus while standing upon the promises of God. And Father, we thank you that we can do just that. We pray, Father, now, continue You work in our midst this morning as we close in worship, as we wait upon You, as we pray and seek Your face. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.